G'day everybody, my name is Elliot Waters and you're listening to the Dysregulated Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is going to be a beauty, I can feel it. It is the fourth instalment of the very popular My Journal series. All right, this is going to be good. It's going to go deep and I really think the insights that you guys will gain will be very beneficial. But before we do that, if you are enjoying the show, feel free to like, subscribe and share it around with your mates. And you can follow me on Instagram at elliot.t.waters. Okay, let's get into it. We are going back to June of last year, June of last year, 2021, when I just so happened to be going through quite the severe mental health episode. So this episode got so bad that I did take myself up to the hospital, the Marta Hospital here in Newcastle, really wanting to find some answers because I was at my wits and nothing was working. We weren't making any progress. We were sleeping backwards. Every day was terrible. We had to do something and I was desperate. So I wasn't admitted onto the ward, but I did have a very good conversation with the psychiatrist up there, and we're going to dive into that today, which I think is very exciting. So this is how it works. There's two journal entries that I'm going to read out. One is the day before I took myself up to the hospital, and the second is the day after I got out. But not only that, I really want you guys to get a picture of what was going on. So This is why I think this podcast must stand out from the rest, because not only are we going to go into the journals, which is a very subjective sort of account of what I was feeling, what I was perceiving, what I was experiencing firsthand in that moment, but we're also going to have a look at the discharge summary papers from the hospital, from the psychiatrist, because as we know, our own subjective opinions, perceptions, etc., sometimes are clouded. Now, obviously, in this moment, Mine were extremely clouded by the various mental illnesses that were ganging up on me at the time. So I think it's going to be really great to have a look at what the psychiatrist's opinion was of what was going on and see how much it married up to what I was saying in the journal entries before and after. So I think that's pretty cool. So I remember clearly what I was feeling when I went up to the hospital on this occasion. So the first thing was, and this happens every time I go up there with mental health issues going on. So I'll sign in, I'll get triaged by the nurse in the emergency department, then they'll take me down to the mental health ward into the waiting room, and that's when the imposter syndrome kicks in a full gear. Come on, Elliot, there's nothing wrong with you. Put a smile on your face, everything's fine. You're being too dramatic. So that was the first thing. I had to sort of keep reminding myself that, no, no, this is real. We've been feeling terrible for weeks, and something needs to change. We deserve better than this. So that was the first sort of hurdle, that first negative emotion or construct of imposter syndrome I had to get over. And then the other thing that really stood out was my frustration. So if you've listened to my episode on treatment-resistant disorders, you'll hear my frustration in that episode as well. It was very similar. Nothing that we've tried is working, and no one seems willing to try something different to try and get some good results here. We're just doing the same old thing, throwing the same old medications at me, and they're not working, and I need something to click. So although I was in the grips of quite the severe mental health episode, I wouldn't say I was going up to the hospital in a suicidal state. So what happens with me, I do a bit of suicidal ideation. So if something goes wrong, whatever it is, I don't know, say a flat tire, flat battery, I don't know, something like that. 
my automatic response to that is, well, this is crap. This always happens to me. I should just kill myself. Now, 99% of the time, probably 99.99% of the time, my second thought is, no, no, that's ridiculous. And then I'll come up with an argument as to why we should keep going. On this occasion, I was having the suicidal ideation. Everything's going wrong. It's been a terrible few weeks. What's the point of even going on? The problem was the second thought after that initial one was a lot more meek and mild. It wasn't as strong as it usually is. It was more like, "Uh, yeah, you've got a bit of a point. Things aren't going very good, and I'm not confident that it's going to improve, but I don't know. Shouldn't we just ride it out and see how it ends? So not as strong of a pushback. And that scared me a bit. So I think that's what compelled me to go to the hospital. Although I guess the the obvious reason was that I was frustrated. I wanted them to say, no, no, there's more steps that we can take to try and improve your predicament. Really underlying all of that was my worry that my pushback against suicidal ideation was not as strong as it usually is. And that, as I said, was a bit scary. So anyway, so that's the context in which I went to the hospital. So let's have a look at the first journal entry. It goes something like this. This is on the 21st of the 6th. It feels like the old walls are closing in and I'm fast running out of options to push back. Or maybe I've got nothing left to give. How long has this been going on for? 15 years? You would have hoped more improvements would have been gained, but here we are again. Stimulants aren't doing the job for my mood anymore, and a turn to alcohol again after so long without it is only making things worse. Worryingly, after securing some painkillers, it was Endone, I discovered that they definitely work to lift my mood. Of course, this isn't something that is sustainable, and thankfully I've given that almost habit the boot. But what other options are left? The drums of impending mortality are beating loud and clear, and I'm not confident I have the tools or the fight left in me to shut them down again. Okay, so that is the journal entry. So there's a little bit in that. I think it's reasonably easy to understand. Obviously, I was in a pretty dark place. Um, it is true. I did secure some painkillers, Endone, which were amazing, but they're not, like I said, sustainable and will lead to some disastrous consequences if it becomes a habit. So I'm really happy that even during those dark times when there probably was an option on the table, I dabbled a little bit and then decided, no, no, we're flying a bit close to the sun here. Let's not do it. Um, The alcohol thing also didn't really last too long. That's the thing with alcohol really reacts badly with me. My hangovers go for like a week. It's so bad, but it's not just the physical aspects. It's the mental stuff that's the worst. Alcohol really does not agree with me. So thankfully that didn't really stick around too long as an option either. So as for the stimulants, my stimulant medication, dexamphetamine, which I was using, um, as I said, it wasn't providing the euphoria that it used to do. So if you ask anyone with ADHD that's on, whether it's Ritalin, methylphenidate or the amphetamine medication, they would probably say the same thing as what I'm about to say right now, which is when you first get prescribed, the euphoria is amazing. I hate to say it, but it's true. 
brilliant. And part of that, though, isn't because of the drug. It's actually because for the first time, for a lot of people, we can actually focus and get stuff done. That is euphoria-inducing. But the thing is, over time, um, I guess tolerances build, and then the euphoria from amphetamine is gone, and you can't really get that back again, which is a good thing. Obviously, we need to get euphoria in other healthier ways. But that was the problem at this time. The euphoria was gone, and I didn't know how to get it back. Although, yes, the endone seemed to do the trick, I knew that that was a very dark road to go down. And I'm, as I said, I'm so glad that I did pull the brakes up on that one. Jeez, that could have been so much worse. Okay, so we're at the hospital. I'm blowing up because they can't help me. So this is the problem with the hospitals. And the problem is this is that they, if you have a private psychiatrist or private psychologist or both, which luckily enough I do, which cost me a fortune, anyway, the hospitals are very um, hesitant to make any changes. And it makes sense because your psychiatrist that you see hopefully regularly, he he or she knows you a lot better than what just a doctor at the hospital who's seeing you for the first time does. You know, the, your private psychiatrist should know how you react to medications, what you've been on before, what works, what doesn't, etc. So I was going up there knowing that they probably wouldn't make any big changes, but I was going there hoping that I could come up with some sort of argument and get something going. Now, in the end, there were no major changes to medication. So I didn't quite get that ticked off the list, but I thought that might happen. But what did happen was a very, very good conversation with the doctor, Dr. Buckmaster. She was brilliant, probably the best mental health professional I've ever come across. And I am saying that without her actually changing my medication. So, you know, it does go to show that, you know, saying some of the right things can really leave an impact on people. And you don't have to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist to do that, obviously. But in this case, um, it's very true that that is exactly what happened. So I was up there. And I was very, you know, down on myself, you know, tearing shreds off me as a person, what I was trying to achieve. You know, I'm an idiot. I'm never going to get to where I want to be. What's the whole point? She really took me on a journey of, I guess, self-love, you know, together we were evaluating some of those statements, seeing if they were true, trying to acknowledge that sometimes when people give me positive feedback, that they know what they're talking about. You know, don't dismiss their opinions because that's actually rude. So instead of saying, yeah, but, and coming up with an example of why you are not as good as this person saying, actually accept it for what it is because sometimes they know better than you. It was a really, really good experience. And it was good too because what she instilled was a bit of hope. Now, when you go up to the hospital in crisis mode, that's really what you're gunning for. You need to get hope. First off, you've got to get someone down from level 10 back down to a three or four. Then you've got to come up with a story, a narrative, and a framework for recovery that instills hope into the person. That's exactly what she did with me. So it was a very good experience. So let's have a look at what she said about me in the discharge papers that she sent to my doctor, my GP. And it goes something like this. So... Let's go. The title, James Fletcher forward slash Marta Mental Health Service. Start of document, Elliot Waters. That is me. So the first step, the first point we've got here to mention is the triage nurse notes when I first went in and said things are not good. So 
it says, when I find it, there it is, patient referred by Calvary Martyr Newcastle Emergency Department voluntarily with worsening depression and increased anxiety over the last four to six weeks. Very true. All right, here is what Dr. Buckmaster said to my GP. Dear doctor, thank you for your ongoing care of Mr. Elliot Waters. Get ready for this bit. A lovely 30-year-old male who presented to the Martyr Hospital voluntarily in the context of multiple psychosocial stresses. 30-year-old male presenting with increasing anxiety, anhedonia, which remember is when you just don't care about things you used to care about, and hopelessness, that's the big one, about a fix for his psychiatric diagnoses. Presented today as over the last few months, he has had worsening symptoms in the context of increasing caffeine use, poor sleep-wake cycle, and university stressors. Then, approximately two weeks ago, Elliot began accepting the role that his parents may have played in his personality development. I'm still trying to accept that and see if that's actually true. Anyway, and last week, a family member also presented to the Calvary Martyr Hospital with mental health concerns, and Elliot is now under the opinion that because there is a genetic link, it appears, with similar issues it has led to this sense of hopelessness that despite the therapies and medications Elliot has tried, of which has been many, that's my words, and effort he has put in, so much effort, there will be no improvement in his condition. Ugh. Elliot has excellent insight and understanding of himself. Yeah, it's a curse. And an ability to be open to new information and processes and accept the same. He displays good emotional intelligence should be great, and a willingness to engage in moving forwards towards a happy outcome. He has a chronic risk of suicide secondary to emotional dysregulation. See, that's why I called the podcast Dysregulated Podcast. Um, secondary to emotional dysregulation and impulsivity. However, this is unlikely to be mediated by inpatient admission. So that's why I didn't go onto the ward. And I note strong protective factors of help-seeking behavior, a strong desire to understand himself, and a desire to assist others in working through similar conditions. Very true. Okay, here's a very brief bit about my background that she wrote. Long history of emotional instability, poor problem-solving and decision-making. So that's very much ADHD right there. Uh, diagnoses include... Uh, Bipolar disorder, type 2, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, OCD, which I've had that a few times. I haven't really mentioned on the podcast yet. It's OCD without compulsion, so it's just the obsessive thoughts. Um, ADHD and borderline personality disorder. And also, I will add caffeine use disorder, which will come up in a minute. Um... Elliot currently sees a psychologist as regularly as his bank account allows, <laughs> and that's still true, um, and has plans to recommence EMDR, schema therapy, and internal family systems therapy. Yes, I do, and I'll explain what those are in future episodes, I promise. He has a sense of frustration that he has psychological barriers that are preventing him from engaging, such as a fear of failure and his very low opinion of himself. And he also says he has a strong part of him that doesn't believe he deserves to feel better. And he's very scared of the process of unlocking potential emotional trauma. Yes, that is true. There's the medications. We, If you've listened to my treatment resistant disorder 
episode, you'll know all the medications I've been on. This is um this is this bit's interesting. Increased use of prescribed stimulant medication, dexamphetamine, in the context of emotional distress and housemate currently managing dispensing of prescribed amount. And the good news is I do not go over my prescription that often anymore, which is very good, but I certainly was back then. Caffeine, Elliot has two to three scoops of pre-workout, which is the equivalent to six to nine shots of coffee. He also has three shots of coffee throughout the day and at least two to three energy drinks as well. And that is true. And I don't even do it to stay awake. It is to boost my mood from the depths to try and get a bit of a rush, you know, and it's also to fix my lack of focus. Thank you, ADHD. Very common for people with ADHD in particular to abuse nicotine and caffeine. Very much so. Okay. So her practical solutions included caffeine to be reduced to one to two pre-workout scoops, one shot of coffee and one energy drink. Um, she also says to take my cretiapine earlier at 8 p.m., so I'm not so tired the next day. I need to exercise at least three times a week. It's amazing I'm being told to exercise when I used to run marathons. Jeez. And I need to improve my sleep hygiene. So there you go. She thinks I was great, which is good. And she also came up with some nice practical ideas moving forward, which were things that I knew, but at the same time, it is hard to implement People with borderline personality disorder in particular know exactly what they need to get better, but it's the implementation part that is so difficult, and I am the same. So that's the discharge summary from the Mart Hospital. So when I went up there, it was like midnight when I first went up there because it took all day to convince myself that it was a good idea to go, that I deserved to go and try and get a good outcome. So I got home at like 4 a.m. the next morning. And then I think I slept for most of that day. And then the following day is when this journal entry was written. And it goes something like this. The big news since the last entry would be my latest visit to the Marta Hospital. I was awake for two days, fueled by, uh, so embarrassing, got to stop this, nicotine, caffeine, and amphetamine, plus the adrenaline-inducing idea that death was surely imminent. And this ensured a mental health crisis was inevitable. But I just will not quit. Maybe that's part of my problem. I'm just too resilient. After all, if I truly had no hope for the future, I wouldn't keep bothering running up to the hospital looking for something to grab onto. And I think a bit more hope has been provided. It's amazing how some people can have such an impact. The psychiatrist that I saw was nothing short of outstanding. Although she didn't offer any new medications, therapies, or other interventions, just the fact that she was truly engaged in my story and was totally committed to my short and long-term well-being, at least in the capacity she was able, has done the world of good. This is one hell of a long, drawn-out battle I'm engaged with, but she made me believe that incrementally, great change can and will occur. And she also made the point that I deserve better days and that they will come. An amazing mental health professional. More was gained in this one-hour consult than so many put together before. I don't want to say that this is the moment that changed it all, but it's definitely a new foothold to lean on if needed. And that's very true. It wasn't quite the moment that changed it all, but I'll tell you what, it is a foothold that is still there today. So that is great news. 
Okay, that, ladies and gentlemen, is my journal four. Can't wait to see what the fifth journal is going to bring. It just gets better and better. If you've got any questions about any of the story or you'd like me to cover something on the podcast, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at elliot.t.waters. Remember, if you're enjoying the show, please share it around with your friends, your family, anyone, your work colleagues. Just tell them all about it. That would be great. And thank you for listening. And I look forward to seeing you here next time on the Dysregulated Podcast.